And now you can build a profile around those commonalities between the 20 people you randomly selected that fit that super consumer profile. And now it is, now can I target more people like them? Because now I have ancillary information about them and now I've created unique insight, not obvious insight, because I've correlated things in other on other platforms for Amazon. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com slash 379. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. But if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's amazonprofitquiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to get you from six to seven figures in your Amazon private label business. Today, we are talking to Marvin Harris of ovals.io, very sharp, intelligent chap, very good at strategic thinking who we've had on before. We've got back in this time to talk about how to become your Amazon category king, which is a much more attractive prospect than scrabbling around from scraps and little crumbs from the high table, which a lot of us have experienced. It's much more fun to be the king. So Marvin, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I think it's really needed, especially with the recession and everything coming. And even my experiences as an entrepreneur, like some of the things that haven't worked out well is because I didn't really think about this before I built things. And then I was scrambling to figure out where I, what my positioning was. And I think if you can rethink that, it can really have a huge impact on where your objective, selling, exiting, and all those things that go with success and growth of a business. Yeah, with you on that, I think I've seen a lot of mm -hmm. success and failures based on failing to think that stuff through the niche we're going to just before we plunge into that we ought to just give you a maybe 60 second version of, of who marvin harris is and who you are what your background is i like to call myself a recovering consultant first of all but as far as me i'm a product architect technology guy and i like to you know i just like to say i like my mission is to try to find ways to help people from my experiences in business in my work life and then i just try to leverage that to try to find value for people. And what that leads me to is have a, I, I build software products, I build digital products, and I advise people on their businesses in various ways, whether it's operationally or thinking about these things that we're about to talk about. Great. So mm -hmm. a little bit outside the Amazon seller bubble, which is useful. Mm -hmm. So nevertheless, this stuff applies so, so much, doesn't it, on Amazon? So we've got some big problems around niche you're talking about, really. So mm -hmm. tell me what the big picture problems are first, and then we'll dive into solutions. I think you have to start with what is a category king by definition. So somebody who's a category king typically owns 76% of a market or whatever that niche is. And then everybody else fights for the rest. 
Right. So if you kind of apply that to in an Amazonian type of world, you have to first figure out who you are and why people buy from you. And then there's those different variants of what's going to make them loyal. Because Amazon is probably the most inbound traffic source for retail that has ever existed and known to man, right? It's all about the cert and intent, right? So you don't have to create intent on Amazon like you would on a off on a typical site. People come for a purpose and they typically fall into two categories, aspiration and need, right? So how do you become part of that puzzle? So you stand out. If I'm selling toilet paper, what's the difference between me and 10 other people that are doing it? The only difference is positioning because you're selling a commodity. And so we have to really think about how can we position ourselves inside the Amazon ecosystem to maximize sales velocity, right? So, anyway. so, so it's really about being taking huge market share, okay, and yes, standing out so, to do that. So mm-hmm. tell me a bit more about the... Let's look at the opposite first. What are the traps we need to avoid falling into then? What are the problems that people have when they're picking a niche or a market or their overall approach to business? Maybe it's bigger than that. That means Uh, they don't end up as the category king. It always starts because they think they serve everyone and they serve no one. So I always, I give people three simple advice. One customer, one niche, one one category. Start there, figure out what that is first. And then figure out the productization and the offer around that. Because when people buy something, whether it's retail, services, business, anything online, they have a desired outcome. And it's up to you to position your offer around that outcome versus what you're selling. And that's how you create a niche. But instead of marketing the product, because there's no distinction between you and anybody else when you lead with the product, because that's not what they're buying. Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking about toilet roll and toilet paper, the the most (laughs) commoditized thing there is. I did have some conversation with some Brazilian guy who, Mm. during the pandemic, he was going to make millions, uh, allegedly, by selling it into America. And I thought if his supply side was cheap enough, maybe he could make it work. We we didn't Mm. talk again for some reason. But the other thing I'm thinking of is the adverts in the UK. We had adverts for Andrex, which is soft, long and strong or something that were the three buzzwords. And they had this cute Mm. puppies running around to the point where really what you were buying is a sort of story about a a family in a house with a lovely Labrador sort of puppy. And it wasn't really that much to do with actual toilet paper. And people paid more money for it because they perceived, rightly or wrongly, that they were getting a stronger, longer and softer kind of experience to wipe their butts with. And amazingly, of course, that was a very valuable business. I don't know if it still is, but it just strikes me that you're so right that it's never just about the product and you're not really selling a product. Lee Roll's just not very exciting, but they were selling a whole lifestyle somehow. I'm... There you go. Yeah. And that's a component of creating a category. There's a lot of different ways. It could be demographic based or I sell toilet paper to manufacturing businesses with warehouses of X size or whatever, but all these different variants. So what I like to tell people to do is take a simple Google sheet and do this, create all the column, like whatever your category is, let's keep with the toilet paper thing. Uh, but down the rows, your buyers, what all the different things that make up buyers, like the demographics, the industry, why they buy, et cetera, everything you think about there. And then across the columns, think about the company attributes, or if it's not a company, the consumer attributes, right? And then but there's a nexus between the 
the generic category and you keep going down until you find a place where you can stand out and within a store with your story right because that's really the only thing you have to offer especially in a because and if people aren't coming for your product from on amazon then all you have is your search and you have to present what i call non-obvious insights that people are missing that your consumer cares about Okay. Could you give some examples? Of yeah. That? Yeah. I'm going to give an example, but I wanted to let you digest that. But so it, I'll use a generic act. Let's take the toilet paper example that you just articulated. He told, he, he used storytelling to compare the old way and the new way, because he had insight on the customers that he was targeting, that they cared about that. And there was a segment market segment large enough for him to create a, a very valuable business in the U S around that. Because they weren't buying toilet paper, they were buying emotion. And that's where people buy most. So I'm going to resonate with that because I feel part of that tribe or part of that community, right? And so the product becomes secondary because he's selling uh, comfort. That's really what he's selling. And yeah, so I guess so. I, I would say also, and by the way, just to be clear, mm -hmm. I, I'm muddling things up in the way I'm putting things across. The Brazilian guy was somebody who just got in touch with me. Andrex mm -hmm. is a pretty big brand in the UK, right. at least it was for toilet paper. So it's, right. they're not the same people. It's quite a big corporation. It's probably owned by Johnson & Johnson or somebody like that. Right. But yeah, they were selling, I think, not just comfort, which is a physical product attribute. I can hear the physical product centric people out there going, oh, my do I need to make a more comfortable toilet roll? But I don't think they were selling that. I think they were selling an identity as a sort of comfortable middle class family with a playful dog and that kind of atmosphere that parents want to have often don't like you got screaming kids and unhappy right. people so i think that's for what it's worth i think they were selling a whole lifestyle somehow yeah so you have to tap into that right and then find that and the whole point of the exercise i just mapped out in a google sheet is to figure out a quick and dirty way to get to that place and then when you find that place is it enough market to create the value you want to create and then build it's not a marketing strategy. It's a business strategy. You build your whole business around it. Do you want this or that? I don't care if it's a one-person solopreneur e-commerce business or a large e-commerce business. They all do this. Like even Amazon, they're category king. Why do people go to Amazon? Convenience, frictionless experience. That's what they're buying. Even though there's a million other sites, they've not been on Amazon and bought stuff and paid more, but because what it, and because it's just the experience, the delivery, I know the trust factor. And so what on an e-commerce site, where do people find trust reviews? So if you're not sure, like to do that exercise, look at your reviews and see, look for the patterns that are not just what they say, but what you learn from what they say and compare that to your competitors selling the same things and see what they say about them, about the same product, the way, because they're going to talk about the seller experience, right? And from there, you can, that's just a quick and dirty way. You have data just by the fact you get reviews because that's one of the number one ways people make decisions on Amazon. Like for me, the first thing I do when I go on Amazon, if I don't have intent to go to a specific seller, is I filter for four stars and higher. So anybody that doesn't have four stars, they just get eliminated from me off the bat. So if your customers are like me and that's a priority, then 
you have to position yourself around that framing. And then you have to go to the next step. Okay, other four-star sellers, what else, how else can I distinguish myself? You see what I mean? And, and you perform that exercise and you'll get to a place where you have, you can have a, a create a different, a dominant position, potentially had a potential to create dominant position. Because if there's one person like that on Amazon with the scale, there's thousands, tens of thousands, if not more people just like them. And then okay. once you dominate that, then you can repeat the process for another group, but just focus on that one customer. The key is finding that spot. Yeah, no argument with that. Finding that spot mm -hmm. is the key. So let me challenge you a little bit here then. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying this is all you got in your back no, no. of strategy, but here's the thing. A lot of people will obviously talk about various ways of trying to find a niche. And all of us have heard lots of different podcasts. And if you're like me and all the sellers that I work with, a beginner or advanced, we're always obsessing about this because it is so critical. Mm -hmm. But it's not easy to... I like the word non-obvious insights that you put there. How else can we really dig into this? The Google Sheet I like as a sort of starting point. That's great. Reviews, obviously everyone in the world who's in some way professional business creation reads those as well. But how do we actually go past that that superficial level and really dig into something that's actually got the potential to be really dominant? Because after all, what you what we've just discussed, reviews, looking at the numbers, making a bit of a decision is what most that's people do. Trend, but most people trend. end up with 5% of a market if, if at best, right? So how do we actually break through? That's that the next transparent level? part of it. What I like to tell people is the you have to track a beat. You have to understand a behavior, right? That is really the driver. I use a, I like to use a simple example. What is a company like YouTube, for example? What do they track to dis dis determine success? Views, right? But before, nobody cared or thought about that as a metric on video, right? So let's apply that to an Amazon seller. It's not the reviews themselves. It's the, it's the little details behind it. And you have to find the one behavior that is the buying driver. And this is where the, what I call non-obvious insight comes in, because you have to, there's a little experimentation and then a little trial and error to this. So if you think about, I'm trying to think about a dumbed down example. In America, for example, I play fantasy football. So I'll use a dumb example. What I found out when I follow these sports teams, I want to get a good running back. Everybody does all this analysis, but it really came down to one factor, age. And nobody talks about that. So what are people not talking about that are really the true indicators of success? And so you have to do that for your business. So what I like to tell people is look at your best customers or what I call your super consumers and find and really dig into the top, what I call the top 20%. Forget the other people the top 20% and find the commonalities among them. There's a great a book you can get on Amazon for $7.50. This Eddie Yoon wrote talking about super consumers. And he goes into great detail about the data analysis around this. But there's a whole framework around this. And what I would encourage people to do is find the super consumers, those top, those best customers. Because super cons the reason I'm focusing on this is because a super consumer is that person that buys repeatedly from you. They buy everything you offer because they're fans of you, right? And then you have to dig into things about them, the demographic data, how much they spend, what's their average order size, what 
when they buy toilet paper, do they buy the 12 pack or the 24 pack? Do they subscribe or they don't subscribe? See what I mean? And then you have to add, then you'll get to that spot I'm talking about. And then you will find that one thing that nobody is paying attention to that gives you the itch. And the reviews are just the enabler to find that one edge point. Because everybody talks about niche, but they don't really understand what that means. Because it's one customer. It's one customer. You're selling to one customer, not everybody on Amazon that wants toilet paper. I think I get it. So really you're saying, look at the reviews or whatever other data you have, I guess. And get your super consumers and back into it. Back into it. Okay. So you find that one metric really that is driving buyer behavior that other people are not aware of, I guess, other competitors. Okay. I like to use use simplified examples, but what I would say is there's a a guy I advise. He's a digital seller, not on Amazon, but on another platform. And he found the one behavior that drove whether people needed what he offered was their customers needing what he sold in order for them to do business with them. So he has to track revenue risk as the indicator. Because if not, they won't buy what he offers because he has a high ticket offer. Right? So if you think about that audience for you, why are people buying from you? You really have to understand that. Or why are they, because if it's your keywords, why are they keying it? What are those? You have to find that combination. But it's really about take your top 20%, 20 customers. And when I say top 20%, use this factor. Who has the ha- highest average order size and the most frequency of orders of all of the things you sell? For the one thing that you want to sell the most that's going to drive your revenue goals because you, for you, right? And that data is in your Amazon account and you dig down into that. Now look at what they say about you. Look at what they score about you. Look at what they buy, the frequency of when they buy. Look at the inventory velocity you have with those type of customers and what credit cards they, what do they use to purchase? Are they using Visa? Are they using, see what I mean? And you'll get a, eventually you're going to scale down to the, when do they buy? Is it a certain time of year? What's the demographic information of this top 20%? And then you can take that and find what are their ancillary interests to find patterns. Because what you'll end up And geography is really important. Where are they concentrated in? And if you take the geography combined with what I just talked about, you will get the unique insight. You might find people that, and what search terms are they using if they came across when they first found you? See what I mean? If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com slash 379. I do. Yeah. So this is interesting because I guess that what happens... I was reminded of that story about there's a drunk guy wandering around and the policeman finds him right two in the morning and says, sir, sorry, sir, can I help you? And he says, yeah, I'm just looking for my keys. And he's looking under a streetlight where it's brightly lit. And he says, okay, so you lost them under this streetlight. And the, the drunkard says, no, I lost them over there, but I can't see over there because it's dark. And mm-hmm. it reminds me of a lot of Amazon sellers don't bother with demographic type information because it's not easy to get from Amazon. So therefore they obsess about keywords because all the keyword tools give you that easily. And I think what you're saying is you've you got to obsess about the demographic info. One good that's thing where, I would That's think. where you're going to get the non-obvious insight. Because mm-hmm. combined with 
because everybody's doing the search thing. There's nothing for you to get non-obvious insight if you're doing what everybody else is doing. Where do you get differentiation if you don't do that? Yeah, exactly. So I think what you're saying is you have to dig into demographics. One kind of good thing, and I say that with a caveat because mm -hmm. Amazon's just releasing, at, probably in beta, depending on if somebody's listening to this who's an Amazon mm -hmm. seller, you may or may not have access to it yet. The Amazon tailored audience have just announced it at, at the Amazon Accelerate conference, which means they're going to give you a lot more information about your followers. In other words, people who haven't even bought from you yet, and also your buyers in terms of the how often they bought from you, mm -hmm. the, the classic what do you call it the, tri the triple sort of assessment that you'd have to assess the value of somebody on a, an email list traditionally would be recency frequency money and how often have they bought from you how frequently average order value as well and all, all that information is starting to become available to us on the amazon platform and that's good and bad it's good because obviously it gives you insights of exactly the kind you're just talking about there marvin but the bad thing is of course your competition is going to start to see them as well so first one tactical thing I would say to any Amazon sellers, if you can get into the Amazon tailored audience and deep dive as soon as possible into that demographic data, that's going to get you ahead of your competition. But it sounds like also really, uh, if we're on a platform that is not very demographic centered, like Amazon, I mean, it is, but we don't get to see it as sellers. We right? don't get to see it, but we don't get to see it. How do we find that information now? What are the best? I always get encourage people to, to reach out to customers that have fit because you can do this. You do know the keywords they used, but think about ancillary things you can use to undermine, unmine the information because whatever you want to find out about somebody, you can find out with today's internet. If I know the person's name, I could easily go on Twitter and see what they're interested in. I could, if I took my top 10, 20, let's say my top 20 percent customers and I just randomly selected 20 of them right I have their name right I have their location so the geographic data is available without any Amazon tools and if I have that I can find out anything all their interests the people they follow on social media other things they buy on Amazon other keywords they've used to buy other products and I can back into the demographic data. So how would you actually go about that in a practical way? You're mentioning yeah, Twitter. Give me an, so I'll, let's take a real example. Yeah, the, good examples. So I take my, over the last 12 months, let's say I'm, I had a thousand orders. I wanted to get the top 20, per, 20, per, 20 orders, and then I'll start filtering how many of those people order from me more than once. That's going to, that's going to, because that's a velocity. And of the people that have ordered from me more than once, which of those have the largest average order size? And where are they segmented geographically? Are they men? Are they women? You know that you can get that really easily. So now you're getting down to, right? And then based on that, I can, I could easily, even if I had never, I could actually reach out to those customers and offer some kind of promotion because people always try to give people Amazon gift cards. So that's commoditized now. But what you can offer is how you can deliver better service by talking to them. What would make this better for you? What would make buying from me better for me? So you could randomly select five or 10 of those customers and try to do some kind of outreach for some kind of promotional something. 
Now you have to decide, but based on that audience, you know what they care about, right? If their if their average order size is fifty dollars, and of all those people, I say, oh, I've noticed over the last twelve months you spent an average order of fifty dollars. If you give me, if you give me, if you give me four to six minutes of your time, I will give you five dollars off over to your next two orders. Let's say the average order is fifty bucks. That's meaningful to them. But I'm only giving this to my super consumers. So you just let them know they're special. And if you have their name, I can take their name and search. I can go on some tool like SparkToro or what I can go on Twitter or whatever. And I can learn that demographic data just by doing a quick social media analysis on that person. And now you have the demo data. I can go on Facebook and look them up and get the demo data on them. I can go to their Facebook account and I can find out if they're married now. So I'm saying you do not need Amazon to do anecdotal analysis, but you want to narrow it down as much as you. So basically narrow with the data you currently have on Amazon. You want to narrow it down as much as you can. Then you want to. The second step is now you want to take that data and go where the demographic data is. Which social platform, based on what you sell, is going to give you the most demographic data publicly? Even though nobody uses Facebook, people have profiles on there, right? And I would just, I would use something like Facebook or Twitter to find that other demographic information out. You can always go on LinkedIn. LinkedIn people tell you everything about themselves, their interests. You can just find them on LinkedIn and you will find out everything, what type of job they have, how old they are, where they work. So you don't need, and now you can build a profile around those commonalities between the 20 people you randomly selected that fit that super consumer profile. And now it is, now can I target more people like them? Because now I have ancillary information about them, and now I've created a unique insight, not obvious insight, because I've correlated things in other on other platforms for Amazon. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And by the way, I'm making notes as ever, folks, to just get yourself over to the 10kcollective.com to, to get the notes here. I really like this because um, you're starting off with, I guess you're putting together two things that are out there in public knowledge, which is reviews on Amazon and Facebook, for example, or LinkedIn or whatever it is. But you're right. LinkedIn, people tell you their life history. I actually find LinkedIn incredibly dull as a platform because it's just so factual. I don't know. There's something very unengaging about it for me, Mm -hmm. even though I'm in the business to business space with Mm -hmm. this podcast. But you're right that people reveal amazing amounts of stuff because it's so mundane and harmless seeming. They seem quite unresistant to open about it. And actually, of course, it tells you an incredible amount about who they are and how to sell to them. I like it a lot. I think what I like about it is it's relatively low tech, but it requires some effort. And I think also, again, to not bang on about the latest Amazon hacks, but that the Amazon tailored audience thing is now enabling you once again, Amazon keeps going through waves, and I don't know when you listen to this, what the situation will be, but in late 2022, Amazon's going through a wave of opening back up to enable mm-hmm. us as the sellers to communicate directly with the consumers. And that's an amazing opportunity yes. in a very simple way to just A, segment by revenue or average order value, whatever you want, and then B, just send them an offer. And to your point, 
it's actually become very simple. But even if Amazon shut that down, you have to do a bit of extra detective work. But I really like this. As you say, I think that the phrase that's sticking in my mind is the non-obvious insight. I really like that because the obvious insights have already been seen, <laughs> cited by the people who use Jungle Scout all day. And I think it's so critical to give yourself an edge. And I really like this. Quite a simple idea, really. But it's actually, yeah, you've given me some very interesting, simple ways of doing it, which I'm going to really encourage my clients to do. One last thing I ought to ask about, we've talked about, I suppose we've implied that we're talking to people who have data and got sales already. Now, obviously, I've got clients who they may be starting off. I don't tend to work with startups these days, although mm -hmm. I do occasionally. But more often, we've got a, somebody's got an existing business, but they want to move into a new product category. And therefore, they're not going to have the data that we've been talking about, average order value That's and things true. like that. What would they do and what would you advise somebody to do in that situation to try your best to home in on a niche without having your own data? Coincidentally, I've actually worked with a lot of people that are in that space, in that situation. And what I tell them is they have to create experiments that they run without, do not buy any supply, do not buy any inventory, but they have to find out two things, who they need to. So what I have them do is the first thing is like, what do you want to, what's the category you want to be in? You know that. You can get that easily. I want to sell automotive parts, right? But you can do analysis on, on trends, right? Let's take recession. So here's an, a, a dumb. So what one thing I see retailers that don't do all the time that is really impactful is economic indicators. They never in, they never add that to the mix, right? So if I was a new person, I have to establish a baseline of what I think. And then I have to go through an exercise to prove or disprove what I think is right or not. And so what I have people do is establish what you think is the truth and then go talk to the people you think that, but it has to be based on this. One customer, one category, one niche, one offer. Don't have, I sell to all small businesses that a hundred million and below. That's not a so you have to define that perspective and then talk to those people and see if what you think is real and the things that you think are real become validation points. So what you need to do is create validation points to make it. I just did this the other day with somebody. He has an offer. He wants to I say we can do this in a day for no money. So I crafted an email for him. I said, tell me the three things that you know about this customer that you think are true, that would encourage them to buy what you're trying to sell. I wrote an email for him to send out to that audience and the post on his social media saying, I'm considering launching X because to solve this and this, there's some more context is added to it. This will not be free. Would you be interested in this? And if he sends the email, I say, reply, I'm interested. Or click this link and we'll, it sends him a text. It goes to his text message, his WhatsApp for a message, letting him know. And then he has to build a list of people that he thinks would be, you know, that audience. And you send that out to people and you can use your socials to do the same thing and see what the feedback is on that. That's a simple way to do it. And if you need help, I always tell people, 
you need to get copywriting help because I get so much bad, so many bad emails with bad pitches and they're too long and they're not focused on the customer. So make sure it's not focused on you, but the customer you think you can serve and then use things like that require no money for validation points. I really like it. You can look at the reviews of the thing you want to sell and you can see the names of the people. You could message them with that same message. You could build a list from people that have already bought those things. Yeah, nice. I like it a lot. And yeah, talking to people, crazy idea. Who would do that? (laughs) It's it's one of those things that that for some reason... um, People who sell on Amazon with physical products anyway, books, and there are lots of things you can sell. Services on Amazon actually is not something that gets mm-hmm. talked about much, but people who sell physical products are very focused on keywords and digital products, or physical products, I should say. And there's lots of work that goes into that. I can understand why you get wrapped up in it, but they don't talk to consumers or potential consumers enough. I really like that. I think that's such a smart idea to just build a list of people and just offer them something and see if they say yes or no in some form. And as you say, don't buy the inventory first. I like that a lot. One of the reasons I like it is just de-risks it. A classic private label model is you do keyword research, you buy a bunch of products, and then you test once you spend $30,000 on products, you test whether anyone wants it, which <laughs> cannot be the right way around, can it? In terms of risk reduction, intelligence scaling, it, it can't make sense. So I like your approach much better. I really do. So look, we're going to move on to another topic in a second about using inventory to make decisions, which is another mm-hmm. something that is a bit more analytically based, but so yeah. you obviously help a lot of people with the strategy. So what, what services do you offer and how do people get hold of you? A couple of things. I advise people. So if you, if you need help with that, you can go to my website, Marv, marvinharris.com. I have a newsletter so you can sign up. I, I send out tips. And also, if you want to have a consultation or get in touch with me, I have a link there. You can reach out to me and I'm, you know, I advise people either on a one-time basis or ongoing basis. I also sell digital products. So I help have a technology background. So I create digital products for people and I also help them productize their services, like productize, do what I just talked about and go through the exercise of what I just said, but I do it for them so they don't have to do it themselves. Because I find people need that done for you service. And so I usually have an audit with them so you can reach out that way. And then I have some software products that you can learn about. If you go to ovals.io, we'll offer inventory solutions. And, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. So ad- advice or consultation, marvharris.com, M-A-R-V-R-I-S-1-S. Marvharris.com, yes. Marvharris.com. And I like the fact that you the stuff we just discussed, I think for some people, they'll take it and run with it. A lot of people go, that that's too vague for me. I want somebody to actually implement that. So it sounds like you're the guy for that as well, which is really good. I think spending whatever it is to get some experiment design and intelligent ways of de-risking, maximizing the probability of success is just a super idea when you're looking at the alternative for spending tens of thousands on inventory or at the very least thousands if you're importing and it's private label. So that strikes me as a really smart thing to do. Brilliant. Marvin, we're going to talk about how to use inventory to make decisions in a second, but for the moment, thank you so much for talking through how to become a category king. Love it. My pleasure. Definitely. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com slash 379 thanks for listening to the 10k collective podcast for six and seven figure amazon sellers i really hope you found the show helpful to you please don't forget to subscribe to the show 
And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.